Good evening, everybody. It is uh, February 28th, 2018, just a little after 7 o'clock. We are going to be bannering the Blue Shirts ahead of uh, a Rangers game where they will take on the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver. But the important thing to talk about now, we are post-trade deadline, and we have a lot of stuff to talk about. The Rangers were very active. They... They made a lot of moves, and we're going to get right into it. But first, I want to introduce uh, Mike. How's it going, Mike? Tammy? I'm doing great. How you doing, Tammy? Good. And for the time being, we're also uh, joined by uh, Joe from Connecticut. How's it going, Joe from Connecticut? Uh, First-time caller, long-time listener. Well, we, uh, we appreciate your support of the program. We appreciate your support of the program, but I think uh, we're going to get right into the heat of the matter. On trade deadline day, Ryan McDonough, JT Miller, Tampa Bay bound. Coming back, Vladislav Nemestikov, Lieber Hayek, Brett Howden, 2018 first round pick, 2019 conditional second round pick that becomes a first rounder in the event that the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup in 2018 or 2019. So, Joe, I'm going to kick it off to you just because we don't know how long we're going to have you. What do you make of the the McDonough trade? It's it's something that we we speculated about. We we wrote about that this could be something that would be Jeff Gordon's sort of uh, you know, big test for him early on in his uh his tenure as general manager, and, and now that the 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 axe has sort of been swung, well, what are your thoughts? I, I love the terminology "the axe has been swung" because it really did feel like, in a lot of ways, an execution, didn't it? From really this golden age of Rangers hockey, that I guess is a totally separate topic, but really only lasted for two years. Um, I, I, I got to start a trade and the Miller trade on its own. Um, Jeff Gordon had a lot of work to do this week, and he did a lot of work. And I think when you look at the amount of prospects and picks that he got back, he really did a wonderful job with what he was given. And, and we can get into the complications of why it was so hard to trade McDonough in, in a bit, but the short version is Eric Carlson also being on the market. Um, I think a lot of people looked at the McDonough availability and they, and myself included in this, because you can go back to two or three podcasts where I was literally begging for, you know, Mitch Marner and William Nylander. But I think a lot of us looked at Ryan McDonough and, and thought, okay, we need to get either a very young, you know, resume aspect player in the NHL or top end prospects. And the Rangers did get top-end prospects from Tampa, but Tampa didn't have the deepest prospect pool. Um, You know, Sergachev and uh, Point were really the two roster names that I think a lot of people wanted back from Tampa. And it just wasn't in the cards. The Eisenman held to his gun, sure. A lot of people are saying Gordon got fleeced. But as I talked about in the article that I wrote breaking everything down about the McDonough trade, I think uh, it ran yesterday, it's not really fair to make an apples-to-apples comparison for the McDonough situation. Because Ryan McDonough 
was on the market at the same time that Eric Carlson was on the market. And Carlson is a better defender. He's a generational player. Um, McDonough's in that second tier of players, but he's not on Carlson's level. And the same teams that were rumored to be interested in McDonough, Carlson. So for all of that and find a suitor was unbelievably difficult. And he walks away with a first-round pick. I think it's a safe bet to say that the Rangers are probably going to get a second first-round pick out of this deal because Tampa's just got to win the Cup this year and next year, and they're absolutely loaded. But you're getting rid of Miller, who the Rangers didn't want to deal with from a contract standpoint. You're, you're moving on from McDonough, again, for a player the Rangers didn't want to deal with from a contract standpoint, and both of those are smart decisions. Um, you're getting back Vlad, who I think is a big upgrade over Miller, and we can kind of go into that later too. And I, I really like the two prospects that the Rangers got back from Tampa Bay, despite, you know, all the different opinions on it. I really do like what the Rangers got back. Was it the best deal in the world? No. Do you want to be underwhelmed by the deal? Sure. And I, I think it's fair, but I also think that it's, it's not fair to consider it not good value because it was good value. It was a good trade. It wasn't a great trade. And you want a great trade with a guy like McDonough. But given the factors, I think it was absolutely fine. And if you roll in the Nash, Grabner, and Holden deals as well, Ike Gordon had an A. Uh, he just had an A. Maybe not an A plus, but an A draft day. Or a draft day. An, an A deadline week, really. Before I weigh in, Mike. Your, your thoughts uh, initially on the McDonough and Miller trade and, and anything else sort of related to the trade deadline. It's funny, Joe. It feels like at the very beginning of the season, I, I posed a hypothetical. If you can keep Miller or Hayes, you, could, and, you know, you can only keep one. Who would you keep of the two? I do remember and, that. I think we all kept yeah. Hayes, didn't we? Yeah, we all kept Hayes, and it's something I brought up every now and then, like when, when Shana or Tom would come on the show, and it was kind of this running thing, and it felt like, it, you know, it wasn't a crystal ball thing, but it was obvious to everyone that the Miller contract was going to be really difficult, and I think a big part of that is, you know, he and his agent might see him as a center, but centers get paid more, the Rangers don't see him that way. And from what we've seen, it's it's safe to assume that he's not really ready to be a center in a top six role. Um, what my biggest takeaway from all this was there was a really big package. Um, sure, the Rangers could have gotten more, but like Joe said, I think uh, Carlson being involved really kind of threw a wrench into things. I uh, I don't feel like this trade came in at the like. The, we should say this trade came in at like the 11th hour and the 59th minute. Like, you know, the 3 p.m. deadline was over, but the trade was still being finalized. And, you know, it, it made some people anxious about like, oh, my God, what did they give up? Did they settle? Um, I don't think they settled. Uh, we from what we heard from, you know, Elliot Friedman and everything is the Rangers are really high on Libor Hayek. Uh, and we also know that. You know, I, I think Nemesnikov is not, you know, he's he's not a goal-scoring guy, but he can do a lot of things. I know you said you, we could touch on that later, Joe, but I, in terms of a body to get back, I feel like Nemesnikov is a really good fit for the Rangers in terms of what he can be. Uh, this it feel, It's amazing what happens. You trade Derek Stepan and all the problems you have with center depth. 
So to get a guy who's on the younger side, Nemesikov's, you know, kind of a young veteran now. He's been around the league a while. And, of course, he was a part of that Kucherov-Sam Coast line, and that really inflated his numbers. But he's a really solid player. He plays a 200-foot game. He can do a lot of good things. Uh, it is important to note that, yeah, the first-round pick we got in 2018 is going to be, you know, like the 30th or 31st pick of the draft. And, you know, if if – the Rangers get the 2019 one as well. It's going to be the same story, but uh, it's 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 another first-round pick. Uh, it's it's essentially like you were saying, Joe. It's almost guaranteed to be two more first-round picks uh, because how I don't know how this Tampa team doesn't win now. Um, they're just scary, but that's a whole other bag of worms. Tom, what was your what what did you take away from this trade? Do you feel like the Rangers got enough? So both uh, both of you brought up two things that are are, are connected. Uh, you Joe brought up the fact that it was the Eric Carlson situation, and you brought up the fact that this was a a deadline deal, and that's exactly how it sort of went down. I believe it was today's uh, edition of Thirty One Thoughts by Elliot Friedman. He sort of wrote about how the Eric Carlson situation was a complicated one because of their insistence in including Bobby Ryan's contract in any Eric Carlson negotiation. That was sort of a non-starter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it was really a situation where the Rangers and Lightning were sort of in talks about this, sort of, you know, working out what a potential thing could be. Then you have the, the Carlson situation sort of fall off the table and Gorton made a deal. And I think that's important because what we need to realize is that the Eric Carlson situation in Ottawa is not going away. That is clearly hit a point of no return. And I fully expect that come summer, maybe it's the draft that he will get moved. And what that will do very much like we saw with uh, the market for wingers that once Carlson goes, that sort of limits the, the pool of, of assets that are available for someone like McDonough that you could have maybe pitted an offer against another team. And then also, once that high-end asset is off the market, teams will lowball a little bit. We saw uh, Jeff Gorton go ahead of the things, and he trades Rick Nash to Boston. We see on deadline day that Evander Kane goes to the San Jose Sharks for a conditional first, and they called it a prospect, but I believe that the, the prospect in question was, I think, he, uh, 23, 24, 25. So yeah, an underwhelming was, it, package for Evander Kane. Yeah. Right. So if you consider all these different elements, that's something that could have potentially happened with Ryan McDonough. And not to give too much of it away because I have an article coming out uh, for, for banter tomorrow, um, the Rangers were in a situation where they had to trade Ryan McDonough. They put out this letter. They state what their intentions are. And one of the big selling points they had was the fact that they could have McDonough and trade him for a playoff run. And then the team acquiring him has him all of next year and then for potential playoffs. So it's, it's a year plus one thing. If you trade him at the draft, it's not a, a rental in the way that we think of rentals at the trade deadline, but it's a one-year thing. So that's, that's one less thing that you can sort of say, hey, you know, you're really close this year. 
you add McDonough, you are really stacking the deck for yourself. And then plus you're going to have them all of next season. So I think when you can consider all the scenarios, you consider what his, his status was, you consider the Eric Carlson situation, you consider what teams were, were offering, you consider that Tampa wasn't looking to move from its roster. I think you have to, in context, be happy with the return. The, the prospects will be what they will be. From, from all accounts, these are prospects that the Rangers uh, have a familiarity with, the majority of it being um, Lieber Hayek, who uh, played for, uh, you know, with Heedle for the, the World Junior Tournament. And you have Brett Howden, who's 19, uh, will be turning 20. So he's a potential guy that you can see in Hartford next year. And then you have the first round pick and then a potential for another first. And even if it's not a first, it's a second. And those are draft choices that the Rangers desperately need as they enter this period where they're looking to uh, stock up the cupboard. So when you, you consider everything that was at play, you got to give credit to Jeff Gordon for getting a good return, having the foresight of reading the market and, you know, moving an asset before it's appreciated any further uh, in McDonough who enters next year in the final year of his deal. Yeah, so there's I, another aspect to this, too, mm-hmm. not to cut you off, Tom, but before we kind of move off topic that we have not discussed, which is the McDonough-Miller deal was the very last deal made. And I think the way that we're looking at it as the easiest way to break down is Nemestikov for Miller straight up and then McDonough for, you know, Howden, uh, Hayek, and the two, you know, the two picks. When the Rangers traded Nash, they traded for Ryan Spooner. And Spooner, Miller, and Hayes were pretty much the exact same player. You know, they're all centers. They're all around the same age. Um, they put up relatively similar numbers. If anything, Spooner's numbers are a little bit better. But is that because he's a better player? Or is that because the support that he has in Boston is better? I don't know. But they needed to trade Miller. So I think a lot of people looked at the inclusion of Miller and expected so much more. But now that Miller has been moved, a report came out, I think, from Larry Brooks in the New York Post that the Rangers weren't thrilled with Miller's off-ice work ethic. Um, The Rangers got rid of Miller, and I'm assuming they think they sold high. And one of the reasons I think Vlad is such an upgrade, you know, Mike, I'm going to disagree with you in that I don't think Vlad is a sniper, but – I do think he's a 25 to he could be a 25 to 30 goal guy. He's got 20 goals right now. He'll probably finish at the 25 plus mark of this year, but he hasn't really gotten that much of a chance in Tampa until recently. He's kind of been buried behind their better players and raw charge, which is SB nation's uh, Tampa representative did a story how this summer he was their number four, you know, top 25 under 25 players. And he's an elite level, like 89th percentile at zone exits, at controlling the puck, a guy who generates a ton of his own offense. And we really only saw him break out this year because he was being given an opportunity to. Now, that is not ideal to get that out of him when you are about to go into a, a rebuilding phase for the Rangers. But I don't think the Rangers see this as a, you know, four or five-year rebuild. I think they're trying to do this in three years if possible. 
And yeah. Mestikov is only four years older or four months older than Miller is. So, you know, if you get him and you, you start going to the playoffs again when he's 27, you have more good years left there. And I think his contract is going to be better than Miller's will be too. But I think the reality is there are things going on on the inside that we don't know about. And we talk about this a lot, that, you know, when we complain about Vigneault, we complain about the usage. Like, I can tangibly see Tanner Glass is a better hockey player than Buchnevich. So there needs to be a really good reason for him to not be playing that we may not know about. And that caveat always exists. But in this case, I think the Rangers saw themselves as selling high on Miller. And even if that's not the case, they very smartly realized that they had Miller, Hayes, and Spooner, who were all kind of the same player. At least with Vlad, you're getting a guy who, again, I think brings a little bit more of a shot. And he's easily the best of the three in terms of his underlying numbers. So Spooner and Vlad are the kind of returns that you maybe don't necessarily expect for a rebuild. But they're young enough that they can at least kind of help show the kids how to get through things, you know, show them the ropes and, and just, you know, old, excuse me, they're old enough to show the kids how to the ropes. But they're also young enough that if but they're young enough to get all of their years, references. Yeah, right. They, they haven't they haven't aged out of their prime yet or they're at the tail end of their prime. And I think that was important, too. But I really do you know, top to bottom like the work Gordon did. But if we're going to talk about why Miller was included, because a lot of people were complaining that Miller should have never been thrown in, I think that's the reason why. Well, he was arbitration eligible, much like Nemestikov is. And it's a situation where you look at his production last year, you look at where he was trending this year, and in a, in a room where he has all the leverage, and I say that he has all the leverage because – of when Miller entered the league, he is one contract year away from unrestricted free agency. So there was, if they ended up going to arbitration, any contract award would have been one year, which would have been in his best interest. So there's that potential risk that, that the Rangers avoid. Um, I think one of the interesting things that Nemetsikov can bring, and I, I, I'm personally interested to see what the line combinations are for tonight. I know that uh, most of this year, the KZB line has been, has been pretty amazing, but I think now that they sort of blown everything up, I personally would go back to sort of the concept of you have combos of players and then someone that sort of complements them. So, you know, if I were Elaine Vigneault, I would be interested to see what does Nemetsikov and Buchnevich look like? What does Zabanajad and Zuccarello look like? You have a guy in, in uh, you know, Zuccarello who's an amazing playmaker. Zabanajad uh, is known for his shot. I think that's sort of a good combination. And then I think that Nemetsikov and Buchnevich could sort of play off each other uh, very nicely, just sort of how uh, Nemetsikov and Kucherov played off each other. And this is not just to, you know, compare you know, a, a bona fide superstar in, in Kucherov to Buchnevich, um, you know, on, on face value. But just if you sort of look at how Kucherov developed as a player statistically, there are a lot of similarities to, to Buchnevich. So that's sort of an interesting situation that that um, can develop. Um, I, I think we've we've done sort of a a good you know, looking over the the major deal that they that they made on, on Monday, but 
I think the next thing that we should sort of talk about a little more in depth and, and you sort of brought it up by, by bringing up Ryan Spooner is the Rick Nash trade, the Rick Nash trade that Saturday night, uh, it was reported all over the place that the Rangers and Bruins were sort of getting something together. And then finally Sunday morning it's announced and Rick Nash goes to Boston and he, he returns uh, Ryan Spooner Matt Bolesky, who is currently in the minors at, at 50% uh, salary retained. Ryan Lindgren, a all-important 2018 first-round pick and a 2019 seven-round pick. So I'll, I'll pose the question again uh, to Joe. I think this is another interesting situation because it, you, tell me if I'm wrong. The initial reaction to the return on Sunday was one way, but once the deadline was passed, there was sort of a, a different reaction. What, it, what would you say, would you say that, that that's accurate, that initially um, player or rather fans were a little underwhelmed with the return, but once they saw everything in context, they, they appreciated it a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it was a classic case of, I wanted to be first in terms of the insiders reporting. Um, so, you know, news came out that Nash was traded for a first-round pick in Ryan Lindgren. And, you know, again, let me put my hand in the air. I retweeted it and was upset with the return. Um, and, and, again, I, I want to use the terminology upset correctly. It was not, you know, stop my feet and throw my poop against the wall because – Ultimately, a guy like Rick Nash is a rental. You have to trade him, and you have to trade him for whatever you can get. So I was underwhelmed with the return when I heard everything, especially because I knew the Rangers retained 50% of Nash's salary. Um, when I saw the whole thing, it was just this, wow, that's an unbelievable trade by Jeff Gordon. Because Spooner is a guy that has a ton of value, even if the Rangers don't use him. They can flip him at the draft, and I think they can get a relatively decent return. Um, if they don't want to do that, they can still use him. Bolesky, at 50% salary retained, if the Rangers drop him in the minors, it's a $900,000 passing, a little bit less, actually, for the next two years. That's nothing. Um, if they want to play him, he could probably be a solid fourth-line option. He's expensive at $1.9 million, but not for a rebuilding team. Um, and the first round pick, I don't know if Gordon did this intentionally. He definitely hedged his bet with Tampa, making sure that Tampa got both Miller and McDonough. They're the clear-cut favorites. That's why that conditional first round pick is so important um, in terms of that 19 second becoming the first. But Boston and Tampa are going to play each other at some point if they both do very well. And you're getting a better draft pick out of one of the teams based off of just the fact that neither, both of them can't go all the way to the Stanley Cup or uh, maybe as deep as they even the Eastern Conference Finals because they have to play one another. So, you know, you hope that Boston runs into the, a buzzsaw and they get upset in the first round. But at the very least, you're going to have that first, first, that second first-round pick fall around 25. And Mike brought up a good point. Not all first-round picks are created equal. So there's definitely, you know, it's not like a top-ten pick. But this is a draft 
that is absolutely loaded with superstar potential the first eight picks or so. The Rangers should assuredly have their first-round draft pick fall in that range. From there, a lot of people consider this an average to weak draft, but I think it's because there's not that many centers, and centers take such a high priority. So there are wingers and defensemen who are boom or bust or a ton of skill, and I think the Rangers need to make plays on all of those guys. If they're not trying to get some picks in the 2019 draft, which I don't think would be the worst thing in the world, I think they're going to find a lot of value in the Boston first-round pick. Because I do think Tampa is going to be going to the Stanley Cup. But if that happens, they have to take Boston out probably in the second round, and that makes the Boston pick better. So, again, I don't know if it was intentional from Gordon, but it does work out in the Rangers' favor. Yeah, it's certainly... It's certainly interesting, but Mike, what are your your thoughts? I I don't know. I'm, I I like to look at how the the opposing fan base and their and writers and bloggers feel about a trade um, to kind of put things in context. And everything I've seen from from Bruins writers and bloggers is that you know Boston this is not a trade they should have been involved in, and that they likely uh, paid too much. And it's interesting because when I look at this trade at face value, I, I was underwhelmed just like Joe at first. And then, you know, I processed it a little bit more. I think what made me less encouraged about it, Tom was specifically Ryan Lindgren and his relatively kind of modest ceiling uh, for, you know, a defenseman. Uh, he's like a really, really physical D you know, his highlight reel that Adam put up on the site is, you know, just hip checks and, you know, blowing guys up and all that good stuff, which is interesting because he's really not that big. But uh, it's just, okay, well, you know, is is that a third-pair defenseman who, you know, plays with a little bit of an edge and it's an, yet another guy on the left side, which seems to be something the Rangers have a lot right now is uh, defensive prospects on the left side. And we all know how important it is to have a defender who can play the right side, particularly in the top six, top four role. Uh, Spooner is, I think, I think a lot of what this trade success rides on is what happens with Spooner. I'm writing something right now for Banter about him. He's a guy who, you know, he's 26 now, but he's only been 26 for about a month. Um, and he, two years ago, Tom, I was, when I was researching my article, he had 19 primary assists at five on five hockey. And he did that, uh, you know, with, with, I think he did it with Jimmy Hayes and Bolesky. So it's not like, you know, he was just setting up someone who just had a cannon, you know what I mean? And it was just automatic goals. So Spooner's ability to move the puck is really exceptional. He's a guy who can be an impact on the power play. He's terrible at faceoffs, but there's a lot more to being a center than winning draws. Uh, he's small. He's only 5'10". He plays on the perimeter. He doesn't really respond well and adapt well to being pushed around the ice in physical play. And I'm sure for a lot of Rangers fans, that might cause them to roll their eyes with so many pass-first players over the years recently, especially centers. But I... Like Joe said, if they can flip Spooner, I'm sure they can get something really worthwhile. Um, 
you know, maybe even using him to move up in the draft comes to mind. Um, I don't know what we should really expect out of Blesky. Uh, I, I also feel like he can be, you know, a guy who can play, you know, in a bottom six role in the NHL and still be useful. Uh, he's, he's a shoot first guy. He's a winger. He's now 29 years old. So, you know, there's, there's no, I don't think there's any kind of unturned aspect of his game where he's going to surprise anyone, but, you know, in terms of a guy who can show up to the show up and play hard physical hockey, just get pucks to the net, he's not that bad of an option. Uh, I, like I said, Spooner's really interesting and the Rangers knew they wanted to sell Nash. This was probably the best package they had, or at least this was, they felt like this was an acceptable deal. Uh, I would have loved for the other asset to be anything other than a seventh round pick. Um, you know, I think I'd even feel significantly better if it was a fourth or fifth round uh, draft choice. Cause you know, a seventh round pick is just, it's just, you know, it's, it's often ta- like stapled onto trades as like an insurance thing. Like, you know, and just in case everything goes wrong, you don't walk away empty handed and, you know, that well, was... I, I do. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Mike, but I do just want to add one point on that that I'm glad you brought up because I forgot about God it. Damn it! Uh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yes, it's like the Bruins website, Stanley Cup of Chowder, when they did their review. I think their terminology of it was quote a worthless piece of currency, um, and you know it, it it certainly can be, and more often than not will be. Um, Lundqvist was a seventh round pick though. And, you know, not that that's the shining example, because how often are you going to find a generational player that deep in the draft? But the real example is a guy like Ty Ronning, who the Rangers took with, like, the second-to-last pick in the draft, who currently has 50 goals in the WHL, and, you know, could turn into a nice player for the Rangers. So, yes, it's useless. Um, but I'd rather have it than not have it, because once you get beyond, really, the second and third rounds of the draft, it's a lottery ticket. So the more tickets you have, the better. Um, and I'm not disagreeing with what you said in that more than likely, whoever the Rangers take with that pick will not ever play a game for the Rangers. But you just don't know. And in a rebuilding year like this, I mean, people fall all the time. Think of how many players are drafted as overages because they were missed out on the year before for whatever reason, the Russia factor, their size in Ronning's case, whatever it would be. You can take those guys in the seventh round, and the Rangers do seem to be getting a little bit more risky with their back-end picks. So, yes, I totally agree with you. It's not like it would have, would it have been much better if it was a fourth-round pick. It would have been a million times better if it was a fourth-round pick. But to the people who think it's nothing, it's not nothing. It's another lot. No, it's, it's, it's not, sure, nothing, not yeah. nothing. And not you weren't it's, saying It's that. an there asset. plenty of people yeah. who reached out to me who said, what, what's the point of even asking for it? You, you want as much as you can get. I'll take 27th round picks over none. You know what I mean? I'd probably take 22nd round picks over five sixth round picks. Because that's, like, once you're that deep in the draft, it's a lottery ticket. You know, the more shots you have at it, the better you are to match the cherries and win whatever it is you need to win. But, yeah, that was just that's a very long-winded way of saying – to anybody who reached out to me furious that the Rangers got a seventh-round pick, that it wasn't like a fifth or a fourth or some people said a second first, um, yeah, that's not it, – it's important. 
So one important thing, you know, since we're talking about seventh round picks, um, this is something actually that the Rangers did last year where they, they drafted for NHL need. And by NHL need, I mean someone that's older and can step into to the league sooner rather than later. One of those players was Patrick Verda, who is playing for uh, TPS in uh, the, the Liga. And this year, he has 13 goals, 23 assists, 36 points in 54 games. He only had 26 points all of last season. So that's an example of using a seventh-round pick strategically, getting someone that maybe is fodder for Hartford to um, foster competition or someone that maybe is potentially a a fourth-liner at the NHL level and that's something that you may sort of, you know, sneeze at. But for a seventh round draft choice, if you can get someone that potentially fits at the NHL level for whatever it, it costs them for their 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 first contract, in this situation, it's not an entry level deal because he'll be 21, 22 probably by the time he signs. So, um, I think that there's there's nothing sort of wrong with that uh, that concept. So I think uh, at this point we we've sort of went through the 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 Boston trade. Um, my thoughts are, are very similar to yours that they get Spooner, who who's an interesting piece that could potentially get flipped. Um, Bolesky is is a is a classic, even though he's not in charge. You know anymore. I. Yeah, I just wanted to add Spooner. I think the potential for him to be flipped, I think, is really high in that, you know, the Rangers can get something out of him. But I wouldn't write off, you know, write him off as that being his only value. He is, you know, a guy, you know, he's only two seasons removed from being, you know, a 50 point player in the NHL. And, you know, like I said, it's even if, you know, they, they have Anderson, they have Heedle. And so you want you want to have a, a hole there for them to step into on that third line in that center role. But Spooner's adept at playing wing too. I mean, it's he's a guy that if you you can sign him for, you know, he might be most valuable to the team on something like a two-year deal where he'll be, you know, dramatically less expensive than a guy like J.T. Miller. And meanwhile, like his underlying numbers are. You know, he had as many, he had a great season. You know, he just missed a couple games of injuries. I think he had a concussion. Um, but, you know, he was on pace for, you know, if he if he hadn't had any injuries, he's on pace for a 50-point season right now. He's not, you know, it's it, there's enough there, I think, where he's, and this is what I'm writing about in my article, but there's enough there that makes him a player that we should all really be keeping a close eye on here as the the regular season wraps up because these games might feel like worthless and pointless now that the deadline's done and the Rangers have sold and they're not doing the playoffs. You know, we all know that, but this is a huge, you know, 20 games or so for a lot of guys, including tryouts for Kevin next year. Hayes. Yeah. And Spooner, exactly. It's just, it's, you have to earn, these are guys trying to earn contracts, trying to earn roster spots. And new guys, new blood trying to prove they can make a difference. I mean, O'Gara's been, frankly, terrible. Uh, But, you know, even he has this opportunity to be like, you know, I can be a part of a solution here. And that's really valuable. And it's important to pay attention to this stuff because, 
you know, the, when we think rebuild, we think prospects, you know, guys who are 20, 20, 21, 19 year old guys, guys like, you know, Hayek and Howden, but there's a lot more to, and, and recob we haven't even gotten to, but you know, there's, there's more to it than that. You need these guys who like Joe was saying before can be there for the transition. You need guys like Spooner who are versatile, who can do a lot of different things for the team and be on the power play plan, like, a, a sheltered third scoring line. And, you know, he, two years from now, he's going to be, you know, turning 28. So, uh, I mean, 28 into 29. So, you know, he, it's not like he's going to be out of the window for what this team is trying to do. If like, I, I agree with Joe, by the way, that I feel the three year rebuild is kind of what the Rangers want to do. They want to be competitive sooner rather than later, because frankly, it's New York. I, I wanna, so I guess I, Tom, Tom, you're a master, by the way. I, just so that everybody knows, I've, I'm dealing with something at home, so that's why Tom is running the show tonight. I have hung up and joined the show twice, and Tom has handled it seamlessly. So, um, wonderful. Work, well, it Tom. was seamless until you brought attention to it, Joseph. Sure, but he needs to be rewarded for his good behavior, unlike you, you bastard. Anyway, uh, one one point that I I did want to make, and Mike brought it up, and, and I've touched on it a few times. I do think there is a tendency to look at players like Spooner, who's 26, and say, oh, he's going to be 29 when the Rangers are competitive again. What's the point of even having him? But, like, Zuccarello is very useful, right? And he's going to be 31. It's not an age thing. It's making sure that players are played in a role that they're capable of and paid appropriately. Nobody would have said anything about Dan Girardi if he was a third-pairing defenseman making $2.5 million a year. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter that he's 32 years old. It matters the way he's playing. So if Vlad is a good player, if he's a 25-goal, 50-point player at 31, he's still a useful player at 31. There's no reason to assume that the next time the Rangers make a run at the playoffs, these guys can't be on the team. You know, I don't know Zuccarello, where you're getting 25 goals for, by the way, with Nemestikov. Last year he had 10 goals, Joe. 10! Yeah. How many does he have right now, Michael? With playing with Kucherov and Stamkos? Uh, I don't know, Joe. You tell me. Well, I, could, I can answer that question factually with 20. Was he playing with Stamkos? I didn't think he was with Stamkos. I thought he was with Stamkos. So it's been oh, a for the first of part of the season Stamkos. he was with Kucherov and Stamkos. Well, he's not with him now, Michael. Well, so, he still played a significant number of games with St. Joseph. And, and before I allow Tom to make a coherent point, Rick Nash. I mean, Nash is how old? 34? Right? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. 34. One of the Rangers' more valuable players at 34 years old. So it is not about age. If these guys are going to be around. No, I'm and they're saying the gold thing being, is a little silly goose. That's and, all. They're, and they're being paid well then it is what it is. Zuccarello's, you know what I mean? Zuccarello's useful now. If you can lock down Zuccarello for another two years or three years at the right price, you do it. It's just the Rangers made so many bad decisions with Asian players. That's all. And yeah, I correct. Uh, you and I don't... Yeah, I, I still, to be clear, I still think Nemestikov can be something like a 50-point guy. I just don't think he's the goal guy. I mean, in the, in the last two months of hockey... He has five goals. And the thing is, like, people might hear that and they might be like, oh, you know, five goals in his last 24 games. But 
you know, what's important here is that he, he's a guy who will make an impact when he's not in the like when he's not in the box score. This isn't like a, a guy like Jimmy VC who, if he doesn't score a goal, you don't even notice he's in the lineup. He plays all three zones well. And the point you brought up, Joe, is in terms of like a puck carrying guy who can play wing and center, Nemesnikov is really, really exceptional. He he's excellent at carrying the puck and that is something that you I feel like you should pay more for that than a guy who just happened to, you know, have hot shooting one year. So I'm really enthused and encouraged about what Nemesnikov can be to this team. And I wanted to make that clear. I just don't think he's a twenty five goal guy. That's all. Uh, we'll, so we'll, we'll see next year. Uh, so we, I guess we will. So we definitely uh, will see next year. And before we, we transition to the next trade, I just wanted to clarify one thing, Mike. When I was sort of talking about Ryan Spooner, what I was trying to say is that he's an interesting player in, this, in, in the fact that we will see what he's capable of with the Rangers the, the rest of the way. And they have the option – to flip him if, if they so choose. And now depending on what the climate is around the draft in terms by that, I mean, what players are available for, for trade. He's an interesting option. As you said, he's not too far removed from being a, a 50 point player and he does, he's older, but he still has, has age on his side. So it gives the Rangers flexibility. It wasn't a situation where I'm just looking at Spooner as a guy that's here he increases his value and the Rangers flip him. I, I think that he could be something for this team, but they also do have that sort of flexibility with him. With that said, the last trade sort of the talk about, because when we were on the um, the podcast last time, uh, Nick Holden had already been traded. So the Rangers send Michael Grabner across the Hudson to the New Jersey Devils for Igov Rikov and a 2018 second round pick. The interesting thing, he's a teammate of uh, Igor Shashorkin, and I believe his contract is the same length as uh, Shashorkin. So theoretically, both could come to uh, North America at the same time. So I will uh, pose the question to Joe. Uh, I think Why that this trade that goes first. I'm but posing better, it to Michael. Well, if we're if we're being honest, I'm posing it to Joe first because we don't know if he's going to drop in or drop out, and then I will always have you on the line, Mike, that we can sort of banter back and forth. So, I think I'm this. Leave. Well, it, you'd make me very sad if you left, and I don't think you want to do that. Um, make me very I, sad by going to Joe first, but let's continue. Well, I understand where like, I where I rest. No, I'm chicken yeah, feet. I get it. Rest. This is why right. Tom is going to get tacos, you son of a bitch. So I would say it's that the fun, Michael I mean. Grabner trade. I would say the Michael Grabner trade out of all of them, there was sort of a similar consensus that the Rangers did pretty well. I would say that they got a better return for Grabner than the Sabers did for Evander Kane. Uh, for by all accounts, Rikov is a pretty good defensive prospect uh i know that there's a bunch of been a bunch of people raving about him and also getting that second round pick is also very helpful uh given the way that the devils have been you don't know next year if they sort of bottom out 
that that could be sort of like a uh, a, a really late first. Just I'm, I'm saying the fact that the Devils could potentially bottom out because if you look at some of their underlying metrics, um, it's, it doesn't always tell the best story. And you could say that sort yeah, of Taylor Hall. Bottom player is not at all assured. I mean, they're in the, the tail end. And of the Taylor Hall is really carrying is. things. So yeah. with that said, Joe, your reaction to the Grabner trade. Let's see what Joe has to so, say. So just, just to annoy Mike further, because we got into a fight about this a couple of weeks ago, I do think the Ilya Kovalchuk thing, who is also a teammate of uh, Rykov, is, um, I, I think it's going to be a factor here as well. Uh, the reality of the situation, and I didn't get into this with, uh, with Hayek, but I, I kind of wanted to. We were talking about it a little bit before the show. The Rangers have broadened their horizons in terms of European prospects and their European scouting efforts. And part of the reason why I think the Rangers were so intrigued with Hayek was because they've had an eye on the Czech League for the past couple of years. He hasn't been in the Czech League for the past two years, but he has played with their international junior teams. The Rangers obviously had a very close eye on him in the World Juniors because he was a teammate of Philip Hito, and Hayek was the best defenseman on the Czech team that made a very surprising run through the tournament. He was like a Ryan McDonough on steroids from, honestly, like Victor Hedman-like in the World Juniors. Um, the reason I'm, making, I'm saying that is, A, it's good value to know about why the Rangers wanted Hayek so much, but also the Rangers have been keeping an eye on Shostyorkin for a year. I mean, plus, they've been keeping an eye on him for a long time. And Rykov is a teammate of his. So the Rangers have gotten a good look at him. And he's playing on FKA. Adam referred to it as the best not NHL team on the planet, which I think is absolutely true. He's only getting 13 or 14 minutes a night. He's not seeing any power play time. And he still has 16 points in 50 games. I mean, for a 20-year-old to play that type of a role, an everyday role on FKA, is relatively unheard of. When they traded for Pavel Buchnevich his last year in Russia, Buchnevich cycled in and out of the lineup because everybody takes their turn sitting at FKA because that's how much talent they have. So for him to be playing every night is really impressive. I think if you look at the, the way that some deals went down, uh, you know, the market collapsing on Evander Kane and really on Carlson in a way as well, I would have taken either the second or Rykoff. And the Rangers got Rykoff. It's Rykoff. Isn't it? I keep saying Rykoff. I'm sorry. It's Rykoff. Tom told me that before, and I forgot because I'm a terrible person. Um, so I, I, to get both of them, I think it's fantastic. And, again, there's this, I don't know who that prospect is by it. So, oh, we're making a trade with the Devils? You take the best pick you can get. I could give a shit. You, you didn't trade Nash to the Devils. You didn't trade McDonough to the Devils where – McDonough is going to be there the rest of this year. If the Devils win in the first round, I would be shocked. And then that's the end of it. He's gone. So you get the value that you can out of him. Grabner is leaving anyway, but a lot of people look at this pick and they're like, oh, I don't know who that guy is. Trust me, a 20-year-old playing at SKA every day, especially on defense, and he is a very good defenseman with the wider rink may I add. So it'll be easier to defend in North America. You, you can't ask for more. I mean, again, we're not talking about uh, a number one, uh, number one defenseman here, but 
you are talking about a top four guy. I mean, I was talking to Alex Nunn about him. I really do get Russian Strawman vibes out of him, and not necessarily a talent comparison or a ceiling comparison, although maybe a ceiling comparison. But Strawman wasn't the guy in New York, but he was the guy next to the guy. And he was the guy next to McDonough who was making everything happen. And Rikoff kind of seems like he could be that type of a player. So I think Jeff Gordon did really well there as well. Thoughts on the trade? Oh, is it my turn? Um, I, it it's is funny, Joe, because you, <laughs> you and I talked a lot about how Grabner just felt like he's good enough to get a first back. You know what I mean? And I think that was that was the message. And so I understand that some people might be like, well, who's this guy in a second? But to me, getting Rikov and the second for the Devils is better than just getting the first. Um, in the game of, you know, you want as many swings as you can at something like landing a prospect or a young player, you get a guy that you know, because uh, like you said, Joe, the Rangers organization, the scouts in Russia obviously have a very good idea of who Rikov is. I think the scout in Russia might be Steve Eminger, former former Rangers defenseman, actually. But, uh, former Rangers what, legend. What, yeah, Rangers legend. What number did Steve Eminger wear, Tom? Oh, I know man. the answer. That, that's an interesting question. I'm trying to it's think off the top of my pitches. head. It is 44. Really? Joe, yeah. Joe was rude. So I, I'm sure you would have gotten it. Take that and shove it in your face with the goddamn pop quizzes. That was, that was first of all, that question was asked to Tom. Uh, second of all, you're incredibly rude. And uh, I love you very much. Uh, where was I? I, I like that it's two assets. Um I, I'm, I'd rather they get Rikov and the second than just the first for the reasons I said before. I, and there is, I think there's a lot of value in just, this guy is, like Joe was saying, he's playing against men. You know, and that's, that's one of the reasons why Heedle and Anderson are so exciting. And, you know, you get to see them like, oh, you know, they're still looking exceptional. Uh, playing, you know, against men and, you know, with men. But the, the recall thing that stands out to me is it's really hard for a 20-year-old defenseman to play in the KHL and to to stand out as like, oh, he's good at what he does. And that's what Rikov's been able to do. You know, I've talked to a couple of people who cover the Devils and write about the Devils, and a lot of them were kind of ho-hum about Rikov, but I think a lot of that, was tied to the fact that they, there was no certainty that he would ever come over to the NHL. And the most recent word we got out of Rikov and his camp is that they're excited about this trade. I think New York has just, frankly, a lot more draw than playing in Newark. And that's, that's a big deal. There's also there's Buchnevich here, there's the Shostorkin connection. You know, there's enough, there's enough there to make a guy like him want to give this a try, even after what happened with Barrett Glazov. So... I'm I'm really kind of curious about what his ceiling is, but like Joe said, being the guy next to the guy, being just a top four guy or even a second pair guy, those are the sort of guys you need to develop on your own because you can overpay for those guys so easily. It's so easy to pay too much when you just have a hole in your lineup. You need a second pair defender, and you'll throw whatever money you have at him in free agency. But if you can develop that guy on your own, 
And, you know, this is a prospect that's a couple of years further along than he, than he would be if he was drafted this year. They know what they're getting into. He has good size. I think in the last two years or something, he's added 20 pounds of muscle. He's not a brilliant skater, but he does have enough of these little things where he's just a toolbox defenseman, I call them. Guys who can do a little bit of everything, a little bit like McDonough, but obviously he's not going to be a skater like McDonough. So I'm I'm kind of optimistic about this one. I feel like this trade, the Rangers did really well. They got this one out of the way early. And in many ways, it's interesting. This trade almost kind of derailed what happened a lot with the winger market because the Rangers got such a good return that I think it scared a lot of teams off of, oh, this is what a rental costs. And, you know, because the word around the league and among scouts and analysts is that, yeah, Rekov is really good. And getting Rekov and a second, you know, it was a pretty great return. Yeah, and the only other thing, and I apologize to cut you off, Tom, um, that I think you need to remember when you're evaluating a, a player like Rikoff, um, players who play in professional leagues as teenagers do not put up the same numbers that you would expect from a kid in juniors. And here's my example. Brett Howden, for example, who projects to be, you know, at the highest end, a low-end first-line center at his, you know, I think everybody agrees he's going to be a really great third-line center. He has 59 points in 39 games in the WHL. So he's, he has 20 more points than games played. Yeah, video game numbers. His, yeah. You look at his 14 point, or 16 points in 50 games, and you think to yourself, oh, well, like, what the hell is that? He's playing against men. Beetle had, like, eight points in 33 Czech League games, and I was gushing over just how much offense that is produced for a 17-year-old. And I don't think people really understood that's what it is. If you have a guy who's 19 and he's putting up 60 points in 30 games in, like, Sweden, that's a generational player. You just do not get offense like that out of someone that young. I mean, Dahlin, who I think everybody expects to be the number one overall pick and, you know, the next greatest thing. I mean, he has 17 points in 30 games or something like that in Sweden. And that is like unheard of offense for a defenseman. So just keep that in mind. You know, we have Alex Nunn. We actually brought on Tobias to, on the website to help with some of our prospect work. And Adam, like these people watch film. They go through everything. They formulate an opinion. The rest of us go to elite prospects and, you know, we go to all the comparison tools and we try to figure it out. But and we ask them what we should think. Yeah. Right. Don't go to elite prospects and say, oh, he only has 14 points in, in 50 games. He's nothing. That's not at all the way that this works. All right, so Tom, you could, I'm interrupting. So you could say that they watch the games. They I, watch I hate you so much. I, I just want you to know that I hate you. Just, you, you've, you've betrayed me. I was on your side because of Mike's rudeness, and now I'm on Mike's side. Well, no, my point is is that for all the flack that they get for their chart work and Not their analytics. The oh, yeah, you know what? I thought you were making a pun, but I see that it was a pun that was also steeped in logic. I'm back on your side. I like it. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I would say sort of to sort of wrap a bow on everything that happened – the, the Rangers are at a point where they're going to play out the rest of the season. 
I, for one, am interested to see how many games Henrik Lundqvist will play. I think that not only is it equally valuable for guys like Spooner, guys like Nemetsnikov to see how they fit, uh, in addition to the, the Hartford guys that they eventually bring up, although how many are brought up remains to be seen because Hartford is, is sort of chasing a playoff spot. I, I don't remember the the last time I looked, but it, they were around six points out. Um, but it was a situation where I want to see, you know, Alexander Gorgiev play as many games as possible because I think one of the most interesting positions next year is going to be goaltending and it's going to be whoever the second goaltender is. And I, I put it in that uh, way and say the second goaltender and not the backup goaltender, because I think that given the state of affairs next year could be a very interesting year. It could be the closest that we've ever seen in the Henrik Lundqvist era, uh, not counting when he was hurt and Cam Talbot came in and played, you know, all those games in a row, as close as possible to sort of a a split of, of games down the middle. Now, I'm not saying that Lundqvist is only going to play 41 games next year, but I think you will see a reduction in his workload. Uh, it is in their best interest for him to play you know, less, fewer games, because as we've seen, he can take sort of a, you know, ragtag, you know, bunch of of misfits and, and drag them to places that they, that they shouldn't be going. And that doesn't fit in the, the, uh, the goal of being a a rebuilding team. But I think that you can have him play. You're going to win some games because even the worst of teams will uh, finish with a somewhat, lack for lack of a better term, respectable point total. Um, but he's committed to this process. He is understanding of, of what he signed up for. At any moment, he could sort of change his mind and say, this is something that I don't want, but I don't foresee that he's been very adamant, whether it's been with uh, John Giannone, where he uh, had that sort of tweet thread before the deadline, where it's like, oh, I've, you know, I have sources say, and he was sort of making a joke that he was speaking directly to Henrik Lundqvist, that he doesn't see himself going anywhere. He doesn't see himself playing for anyone else. And I think that if they can sort of follow the Toronto Maple Leafs template, of uh, of a rebuild where they sort of bottom out, then the next year is is also sort of a little bit bad. Then they have a, a year two where they sort of take some baby steps. Then they have year three where they sort of make a run of it. And at this point, they've sort of uh, you know they've been able to develop some of the players that they've drafted. They've been able to develop some of the players that they've acquired in trades. And then you go into that fourth year and we'll see what this team is. The the one thing that could potentially complicate things and something that uh, is too early to sort of consider is uh, how the impending uh, expiration of the collective bargaining agreement plays into all this. How does expansion play a role into this? But 
I think that if you're a Ranger fan, you should feel some sense of confidence. You should feel some sense of we're actually doing this. And it's going to be a little bit frustrating. It's going to be different. It's going to be a process, but it's not going to be a process of futility. It's not going to be a situation where we see mistake after mistake being made, not being learned from groundhog's day all over again. There is a plan. They have, they have committed to it. They wrote that letter. They won two games after it. We all joked, are they really going to follow through with this? But Gordon left no ambiguity. He took the ax to the majority of this roster and it remains to be seen who else is going to go. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, sort of a, a topic for, for another, another podcast. Um, Cause I, I have to run in a few minutes and then uh, I'm going to, you know, have Mike, you know, read off the, the Patreon names, but I still think that there's players on this roster now that come draft time, they're being shipped out, whether it's for prospects or a first round pick, but I think this is this is going to be interesting. It's going to take some time. It's going to uh, – fans are going to have to sort of refocus how they're watching the games. It's not going to be where we freak out over every misplay. We freak out over every bad goal or whatnot. Um, it's not to sort of, you know, it's Growing the, pains, the 76ers Tom. trust the process in growing pains and – knowing that there is a purpose, there is a plan, there is a reason. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I'm very excited to, to see this team build something, not buy it. Um, and, and, and it should be a, a very interesting ride if done right that will you know, culminate in something that is decades in the making. Um, at this point, I would like to kick it off to Mike, if you would so kindly – read the names of all the wonderful people that help make this podcast possible. They, they, they share, they like, they, uh, you know, in the Patreon, which is very, very, you know, thankful. We understand that there are so many things out there that you could be using your discretionary income for. And we really do appreciate all of, all of the support that you give. It, it truly does mean a lot. Yeah, yeah, thank you all. As... I, I actually, the timing. God damn it. To... Um, thank you both. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, and especially thanks to the two of you for being understanding with my current situation. So thank you, guys. No worries, Joe. Goodbye. Go listen to us or subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes, too. All right? Do that. Then give us your money on Patreon and all that fun stuff. I love you all. Goodbye. All right. Bye uh, to Joe from yeah. Connecticut, and it's all yours, Mikey. Tom, he's our leader. You know, that that's the way our leader acts. Um, I just wanted to say – as much as Tom appreciates you guys and Joe appreciates everyone, I appreciate you all just a little bit more. Uh, John J. Porter, Anthony Viola, John Reppy, Johnny Olo, Alex Gardner, Alexander Ricard, Robert Courtney, Meaty Ogre, Daniel DeGen, Eric Cohn, Matt Bader, George Lippman, Dan Lynch, Danny Santiago, Gabriel Vargas, James Dangles, David L. Singer. It sounds like the name of a director to me. David L. Singer, uh, Darwin Bushman, Grumpy Smokey, Scott Potash, Mike Offit, Chris B., Bob Kawa, Andrew Grigo, Stink Fleeman, Toy from Manhattan, Arch Williams, Igor Zawoski, Zachary Zetland. A couple of Z names there. I like that. 
Dan Carosi, Alexander Thornton, Thomas Osa, Trevor Kempner, and Michael Silvers. Thank you all very, very much. Uh, your support means a lot. It makes the show possible. And I, you know what, Tom, I wanted to say this really quickly. I know you have to run. From a selfish sure. perspective, I'm actually excited to cover the team going through this different stage because I, I think you hit the nail on the head that they have to build this, not buy it. And there's nothing that's more exciting, I think, for fans than to kind of get attached to, to new young players. And it's been a while since there was like a full crop. You know, it's kind of been fits and spurts of, you know, oh, it's Brady Shea and, oh, Bucinevich. And, you know, it's going to be – the team is going to very soon be defined by its youth and, you know, a new young core. And is that going to be tough for a lot of people? Yeah, it is. It's going to be hard. But – I think the payoff, if it's done right, and that's the big thing here, is this this organization has to pull this off the right way, and that means the front office has to make more tough decisions come draft day. They have to figure out what the hell they're going to do with Vigneault, but that's a whole other can of worms. And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what comes next, just because the potential is limitless. And more importantly to me is there's just nothing but, you know, interesting stories to talk about. It's not the same... Are they ever going to win a cup in the Lundqvist window? Da, 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 da. It's, it, that window's closed now, and that absolutely sucks. But what doesn't suck is that I feel like overall they did this deadline as well as they could have. I think Gorton did a very admirable job in terms of just getting back enough, you know, enough seeds to, to grow something. And like you said, it might be a couple of years where they suck, but really – it's not, but that's good news in the long term and just kind of crappy news in the short term because the more they struggle and if they're mediocre next season or downright bad, that just means more, you know, higher picks, more opportunity for young guys, and we'll see what happens. But thank you, Tom, for hosting and doing all the Tom things. It's my pleasure, Mike, and I, I would say uh, I'm definitely excited. And if anything, we've seen all these other teams that have these really talented young prospects. It will be nice for the Rangers to have that as well. Uh, Mike, where can people find you besides Boucher banter? Uh, people can find my work specifically covering women's hockey at the ice garden and sporting news where I'm a contributor. Tom, where can people find you on the Twitter? People can find me by my name at Tom, U R T Z J R at Tom Rich jr. And where can they find you on Twitter, Mikey? At Dig Deep BSB, which stands for uh, Botswana, Sauerkraut, and uh, Borscht. Baloney. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, everyone. I don't like, I I grew up really liking baloney, Tom. I don't like baloney anymore. It's, uh, I don't like it. (laughs) Well, I'd like to thank everybody for joining. We understand, you know, things have been. You're not going to end the show, Tom. Headache and chaotic, but uh, we do appreciate your support and uh, you Tom, know, share your favorite this deli meat. Out. Number one deli meat, Tom. You have to give me that at least. Mm, that's an interesting one. I'll go with bologna. God damn it! You went with bologna. You went with bologna just in spite. Out of spite, you went for bologna. I did. Well, I knew it. Thank you, everyone, for thank joining for us. Listening. We appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, spite bologna is the worst. Oh, man. Ice cold. All righty, everyone. Take care. We'll speak with you again soon. Bye-bye.